good to be in the house of the Lord together. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Is it still morning? Oh, I've got one minute. Good morning. Um, it is so good to be here today. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for coming and worshiping. If you are a regular part of the church family, just thank you for being family. Thank you for being one of the awesome people that makes this church what it is. And if you are here for the first time or you're visiting, uh, you're a guest, any of the above, we really, really just appreciate you and we just want to extend you the warmest of welcomes. Um, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Kevin. I am the head of worship here at Birmingham City Church. I've been part of this church now for just over five years and it has been one of the greatest joys of my life and I still feel like we're just getting started. Amen. So there are so many amazing things ahead of us, one of which is this new series. I love this graphic. It's very dramatic. Um, but we are kicking off a new series today called Bible Heroes. I have the pleasure of kicking it off and I'm going to be speaking about the story of Moses in the book of Exodus. And you know, one of the things that we just want to set out as we start this series is it's very easy for us to look at a, just like a bunch of biblical heroes and go, weren't they great? Look at all the amazing things they did and, and feel like, well, how does that apply to my life? Um, and it would be very easy for us to set up and go, look at this amazing stuff. Go do that. Um, and then really we're just setting people up to strive, to try and do a whole lot of stuff in their own strength, to feel like unless they do something good enough to get into the pages of the Bible, they are not a biblical hero. But let me just say on behalf of myself, and I know from talking to Pastor Nick as well, we believe that God is calling the ordinary heroes of the faith even today. So as we look at these pictures of biblical heroes, all of these different characters that we know from the Bible, just know that the task on, on our hands is to look at these characters to draw inspiration because God is in the business of calling, equipping, commissioning, and releasing ordinary people. Amen? Amen. Well, I just want to start out today with a couple of stories. Just by show of hands, has anybody ever had a job that you felt you weren't very good at? Okay, some hands. Hey, if this is the job you're in now, we're praying for you. But can I just say that I think we've all been there. Maybe by show of hands, have you ever been like involved in planning a party or a family get together or something like that? And somebody has given you a task and you've thought, why have they given me that? I'm not good at that. By show of hands, anybody? Okay, so a few here and there. Or maybe you've just found yourself, you know, in the midst of life, you've just ended up with the task on your desk and it's been like, this is like the sum total of things that I am not very good at and things that are so boring they put me to sleep. Um, this is not what I came here to do. I don't think that I can do this. Um, I have had approximately at least three such occasions in my life where I've ended up in jobs that I don't know what I was doing taking those jobs, church. I had the job and it, w it was like, if there's like a Venn diagram, which is like where you have the two circles that overlap and you had the job and my skills, those circles were like eight miles apart. They were just nowhere, nowhere near one another. So I want to very quickly tell you about three of those jobs. The first one was when I was 15 and I was working at the local fun fair and amusement park 
park in my home village. The second one was when in 2011 I first moved to the UK. I was fresh off the boat and I just needed a job where somebody was going to pay me anything to do something. And then the third one was a job that I took at the end of my master's degree in 2015 because my bank balance was running low and my time was running out. And I had that job for a sum total of seven hours. Seven hours I had that job for. Seven hours. So let me tell you about them because these are clearly examples of when I was out of my depth. So job number one, at the amusement park, the fun fair, the little um, fairground in my hometown. Now I grew up in a small seaside village, but it was a real tourist hotspot for people all over Ireland coming down to our village in the summer. From about April through to September every year, just every weekend it would be chock-a-block. Just, and we had this fun fair, this amusement park. And church, when I tell you, this thing had not been done up or upgraded or modernized since about the 50s. It was so old. It was so old, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be allowed to have it now. It was like so unsafe. Like if you've ever been on the, the boats that you sit in and you pull the rope and you rock back and forth with somebody sat opposite you, if on these ones in our, in, in our amusement park, if you swung high enough, you could feel the leg of the thing lifting up on the other sides. And I wasn't a believer in the same way then as I am now, but I'm pretty sure it inspired some prayer in me from time to time. Um, I worked on this terrible little thing called the ghost train. And you may have been on one that was similar to it. It's like a little carriage and it goes into a room and you hear all sorts of spooky noises and then you come out and it's meant to be very, very terrifying. Honestly, ours was just, you go in through the door, a siren went, and then you had like a 45 second journey through the dark and then you came back out. It wasn't very scary. It wasn't very scary at all. But the pinnacle of the employment, the progression opportunity that everybody wanted in this amusement park was to work on what was called the waltzers. Now, I've been to loads of amusement parks since then and I've seen these things and they're not called the waltzers, so maybe you're not with me. It's the thing that looks like teacups, but it also goes up and down, you know? So, and you would spin around, but then you'd be in a little cup and you would spin as well. And you'd have these guys, these, they seem like the coolest guys in the world. You know, the thing would start spinning and just when it was spinning really, really quickly, they'd come running out and they'd go, and they'd like surf around on it and they'd come up to you and they'd spin it and they'd spin it. And if you were going on it, you'd be like, faster, faster, and they'd spin it. I wanted to be one of the waltzer guys. And can I just say, it was not overlapping in the Venn diagram of my skills. I had one trial shift where I got to do it, and I remember working up my courage, jumping out, and going boom onto it as it was spinning. Now church, I don't know what happened next, but all I know is I saw the fence coming towards me. <laughs> and the next thing I remember is, are you okay, mate? Are you, are you all right? Kev, Kev. Yeah, maybe, maybe stay on the ghost train. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so can I say, I found out in one fell swoop that that was not going to be the job for me. Um, the next job that I had was when I first came to the UK and I was fresh off the boat. I moved over on a Tuesday, booked 48 hours in a, um, a hostel and gave myself two days to find somewhere to live and a job. Um, don't do, just, can I just say, don't do that don't do that. But I moved over to Cardiff and I got a job in this 
um, bar, restaurant place just next to the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, and they needed somebody who was going to wash the dishes. And I said, brilliant, let me get in on that. doesn't require much skill. I'm going to wash the dishes. I washed the dishes for about three weeks, and then they had a chef that left. And they said, would you like to transition away from... Why are you laughing already, church? Can I just say, I don't, there's not a lot of faith in me in the house here. I haven't even told you yet. I mean, it is going to go badly, but you don't know that. All right, I'm writing that one down. Um, anyway, they said, do you want to be a trainee chef? And I said, yes, let me do this thing. Now, my friends and my fiance and anybody that knows me will tell you, the church, I can cook. But you know what I can't do? Multitask. I cannot multitask. And I can cook, but I'm not very fast. So tell me why I took a job as a trainee chef in a, in a bar next to the Millennium Stadium, the big rugby stadium in Cardiff, where at least 10 times a year, there would be like 80,000 people on the street looking for food. And let me just tell you, it didn't take me very long at all to find out that I wasn't very good at that either. It wasn't going, it wasn't going very well, Neil. Nemo, it wasn't going very well, mate. It was, no. So... Eventually, I got another job and I was very happy to move on. The final job that I want to tell you about is when I finished up my master's degree in 2015 and I realized I needed to get back into work a bit quicker than I had planned. So suddenly, I was online and I was looking for any job that was going because my bank balance was getting low and I hadn't worked while I was studying um, church. Now, forgive me, but I actually got a job as one of those people that raises for charity on the street. You know, oh, I can feel the room dividing on me already. Somebody just went, oh, I heard it. Um, but can I say, these are people of God, okay? These are children of God. They're made in God's image. They're doing their best. The model probably needs a little bit of tweaking. But yes, I was one of those people that would interrupt your lunch break and not let you get to where you want to go. And you would see me down there and you go, right, I'm going to take the long way around. Uh, but you have to understand is I'm very persistent. So I was like, right, let me just uh, um, uh, <laughs> but actually for all of my charm you'll be surprised to hear that I wasn't very good at that either I could stop people but I could not get them to fund like to fund the charity I could not get them to sign up for the first two hours I had some success some good conversations but by the last sort of six hours of my shift I gotta say people were just ignoring me church so I was going hey do you have a minute can I just stop now that takes about four seconds uh, now, I was doing that every four seconds for six hours, and nobody was talking to me. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I should get some sympathy for that. Yeah. Anyway, when the boss pulled me aside at the end of the, the trial shift and said, I don't think this is for you, <laughs> I said, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. Let me go find a job that is more suited to my talents, shall we say. Uh, thankfully, I think this one that I've got here is going a little bit better. You know what I mean? And uh, uh, we'll see. We'll see. But it seems to be that God now has me in a place where I'm supposed to be. Why am I telling you this story? Um, not just so you have some funny stories from me to laugh about, but because I think we've all felt like that at different points in our life, yeah? Like, they're funny stories to look back on now, but at the time, some of these kind of... The way these things ended versus the way I saw them panning out, it wasn't fun to go through. And it's not very fun to be in a situation where you feel like it's your job to do a good job. 
and you don't know if you can do that. And you don't know if you're very good at it. I think sometimes the call of God in our life can call us into similarly uncomfortable places. It can lead us out of our comfort zone, beyond our steady places, and into the unknown. The call of God will often ask us to give more than we feel we have within us to give, to trust beyond what it feels logical to trust. And if we were to look at it in purely human terms, a lot of the stuff that God calls us to do feels quite impossible. And we look at it and we say, me? Surely there's somebody better equipped. Surely there's somebody that has more skill in this area. Surely, you know, you don't know what I've done. Surely, God, you're not calling me to this, even though, and there's all of this here. But church, we can be encouraged because as I said at the start, God is in the business of calling ordinary people. Amen? God is in the business of calling ordinary people. So hey, let's jump into the scriptures together. Um, I want to look at the story of Moses today in the book of Exodus. And I'm going to take a brief pit stop at three different points in the story. And in those three brief pit stops, I just want to highlight three key things. The first one is the person, the second is the power, and the third thing is the plan. Isn't it very satisfying when they all begin with P like that, church? You've got alliteration going on. The person, the power, and the plan. We're going to look at the person because who God is is far more important than who we are. We're going to look at the power because God's strength is far greater than our weakness. Amen? And we're going to look at the plan because the truth is God needs our trust far more than he needs our talent. Amen? And praise God for that. So let's jump in to the scripture together. Point one, the person. Who God is is far more important than who we are. I'm going to go from the book of Exodus chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 24 right the way through into Exodus 3 up as far as about verse 15. So it says from verse 23 of Exodus 2, After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. And they cried out. And their cry for help, because of the difficult work, it ascended to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the Israelites, and God knew. Then into chapter 3. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why is the bush not burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, he called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Don't come any closer, he said. Remove the shoes from your feet, for the place that you are standing on is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And it says Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppression. 
I know about their suffering, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So because of the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you should say to the Israelites. The I am has sent me to you. Amen. Lord, please bless the reading of your word as we seek to understand it, gain wisdom, and gain knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a lot of remarkable stuff in this scripture, and it's actually really encouraging to me. So I hope it's going to be really encouraging to you too. First thing is just a very technical note. If we were to try and learn something about this scenario from this passage, it's interesting to me that God uses the personal pronoun I, referring to himself, I. He uses that 16 times in this short passage. And he only refers to Moses with the personal pronoun you, Just six times. What do you think that means? I think on the very face of it, it's more basic than you might think. It means that God is talking about himself a lot more than he's talking about Moses. And if we look deeper at this passage, we can see the heart of God revealed in it as well. Look at what it tells us about God. If we hadn't known anything about God before this point, look at what it tells us. It tells us about his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the fathers of the faith. It talks about, it reveals God's holiness, his mercy, his concern for the suffering of Israel and his heart to rescue and deliver and his plan to save. Despite all of this, despite God mostly talking about himself and what he is going to do and his power and his mercy and his compassion and his love and his plan, what does Moses do? The first thing Moses does is try and disqualify himself. The first thing Moses does is say, God, who am I that you would send me? Who am I that you would use me? And God's response was to correct that again and said, no, no, I will be with you. So Moses is going, me. And God is going, no, 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 I will be with you. I will be with you. And I think we can take some encouragement from that. Who God is when he calls, when God calls us, if God calls us out, as an example here in the book of Moses, the greatest call of Moses' life, when God calls us out, what we can learn here is that who God is is far more important than who we are. Amen? Who God is is far more important than who we are. The truth is, God didn't decide to save Israel in that moment just because Moses had finally come along. Just because of the nature of Moses' character and heart, God decided, okay, now I'm going to save them. No, the scripture tells us that God had heard the Israelites' cry 
and because of his compassion and his mercy and the promise he made to their forefathers, therefore he would save. What am I trying to say? It was never really about Moses. God used Moses, worked in Moses, worked through Moses, did incredible things through Moses. But it was never really about Moses. And for us, the truth is, when we're called to serve God, this same thing is true of us. It is God who matters. Now listen, I don't know if any of y'all are on TikTok or Instagram or social media and you are able to remotely keep up with things at the moment. I am most certainly not. But one of the things, I see people laughing at me already. Um, one of the things that has come up in recent years is hashtag main character energy. Any fam- oh, there's a, a rumble, a chuckle of recognition in the room. Hashtag main character energy. This idea that when you post about your life and you interact with your life, you document it on social media and you post and you behave and you interact with life as if you were the main character, as if it was a movie and you were the protagonist, as if everything in your life is cycled and circled and focused around you. Hashtag main character energy. Can I just say, there is not enough main character energy in the world to make us the central character of God's story. God is the main character of God's story. And this is a story about God and his promises to Israel. Main character energy, we're talking about God here, not ourselves. He is the main person. So that's the first thing we're going to look at, the person. Second thing we've look, we're going to look at is the power So let's take a look at Exodus 4, verses 1 to 17. The power is important because it tells us that God's strength is far greater than our weakness. So from Exodus chapter 4, from the beginning of the chapter, Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you? The Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand again. This will take place, God continued, so that they will believe that the Lord of God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased, resembling snow. Put your hand back inside your cloak, God said. So Moses put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, he had again, the skin had again become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, they may believe an evidence of the second sign, God said. And if they don't believe even these two signs or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent either in the past or since you have been speaking to me because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. The Lord said to him, Who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you to speak. 
and I will teach you what to say. Moses again said, please, Lord, send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and also he is on his way now to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both of you and him to speak and will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you and he will serve as a mouth for you and you will serve as God to him. And take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. I want us to just dwell for a minute and think about all of the things God placed in Moses' hand as a witness to the fact that the Lord of heaven and earth was with him. God gave Moses the ability to do three miraculous signs and wonders. First, he said, you know, pick up that staff and it will become a snake. And then if you pick it up again, it will become a staff again. And then he said, put your hand inside your cloak and it will become diseased. But if you put your hand inside your cloak again, it will become healed. And if people don't believe any of those first two signs... Then sprinkle some water from the river Nile in the ground and it will become blood. These three miraculous signs are how people will know that I have sent you and that I am God. And then Moses says, Lord, I'm not very good at speaking. Church, where in any of that were those miracles dependent on Moses' ability to speak? Pick up the staff and it becomes a snake. No words required. Put your hand in your pocket, it becomes diseased. Put it in again, it gets healed. No words required. Drip your hand in the Nile, let the droplets fall to the ground and they become blood. No words required. Can I just take a moment just to say how frustrated I would have been if I was God in that moment? I'm like, hey, Moses, these three miraculous things that you can now do to show my power, to show my glory, these things that nobody before you could do, you can now do to show and witness to the Israelites that I am God and I am with you. And Moses goes, ah, I'm not very good at talking though. I would have been frustrated frustrated. God is more gracious than I am, that is for sure. But what does this tell us about Moses? God had planned mighty, miraculous, awe-inspiring signs and wonders that would shake the foundations of the Egyptian empire, break the chains of the captive, set all of Israel free, and Moses could not see past his own self-doubt. It's easy to sit in judgment. Like I just said, I'm quite frustrated with him if I'm God. But the truth is, church, we do that sometimes, don't we? We stand in front of God and we go, no, but God, you don't see. Mm, I know I'm supposed to do that, but it's actually really hard for me. I'm actually not very good at that. Um, I've actually got this thing that I experienced and that I went through, which means that's actually quite difficult. I don't think that God would call me to do something that is difficult. And we disqualify ourselves either because of how we perceive our ability, because of foul words, incorrect words that people have spoken over us because of experiences that we've had that have affected our confidence, because of hurt we've received from other people, for just, just the slings and arrows of life. We disqualify ourselves and we can be quite like Moses. Whatever it is, it's something we have allowed to become so big in our minds that the thing God has called us to do seems impossible. But there is encouragement for us today, friends, as simple as it was to Moses back then. 
The simple words from God that says, I will be with you. I will be with you. The truth is, God could have actually healed Moses' speech impediment or his speech issue like that. Like he's got the power to turn a staff into a snake, to turn a hand diseased and healed again, to turn water into blood. He could have healed Moses' speech impediment in a heartbeat. So why didn't he? I think it's because it was never about how well Moses could speak. It was never about how well Moses could speak. It was about who was speaking through Moses. It was not about how well Moses could speak. So for us, I think we can take that same encouragement to remember. We've talked about the person. This is now about the power. The power and the strength does not come from us. It comes from God. And his strength is far more important than our weakness. Amen, church? Okay, so that's our first two the person and the power. The third thing I want to talk about today is the plan. So we've had the person, the power, and the plan. The plan is important because God wants our trust far more than he wants our talent. Have any of y'all ever had your eyes tested before? Now, I know that's an obvious question. I can see loads of glasses looking back at me. Well, I think I can, actually. I've not had mine changed in a while. So I assume I've got loads of hands looking back at me. Do they still do that thing where you're looking through the eye machine testy thing and there's a, a green circle and a red circle and it's got the black border around it and they change the lenses and depending on which lens you're using, the border changes from gets thicker on the red one or thicker on the green one, switches back and forth and they, they do this thing where they go, is it, is it, is it lens one or lens two? And I'm like, I'm so sorry, I don't know. But they go, is it lens one or lens two? And they go, is it any better? And you say, oh, I still don't know. But they do this thing, lens one, lens two, lens A, lens B, better, worse, how's that? Because the truth is, as evidenced in that little moment when we're getting our eyes tested, the lens through which we look affects our perspective of the things we see, Amen. The lens through which we look affects the perspective of the things we see. So it's easy for us to look at this story of Moses and the rescue of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt through human eyes and see a human perspective. But actually, it's also important to look at it through spiritual eyes, through scriptural eyes, and see a heavenly perspective as well. We can see the story as a story of frustration and of pain and of hurt. And don't get me wrong, there were so many, so many grievously painful things that happened. But if you're looking through human eyes, it can be so easy to look at the story of Aaron and Moses going to the Pharaoh, let my people go. No. Okay. Plague number one. Okay. I'll let them go. And then he changes his mind. So, okay. Let my people go. No. Plague number two. And on and on and on and on and on, the Pharaoh with his hardened heart, God needing to escalate and escalate and escalate the plagues and the afflictions of the Egyptians so that the people of Israel could be free. Moses and Aaron hearing no, 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 no. And we can look at that through human eyes and go, how are we supposed to take inspiration from that in our calling when we are faced with no, 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 no. When all earthly power seems to be against us, when doors don't seem to be flying open. But there's something different 
when we look at it through a scriptural, heavenly lens. I'm going to do a whistle-stop through, tour through about four scriptures from Exodus. Exodus 3, verses 19 and 20, the Lord says, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform. After that, he will let you go. Exodus 6, verse 1 now you will see what I do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. Exodus 7, verse 3 to 5. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt. And with mighty acts, I will bring out my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand over Egypt and bring the Israelites out. Exodus 10, verses 1 and 2. Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of the officials, that I may perform these signs of mine amongst them, that you may tell your children and your grandchildren of how I dealt with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs amongst them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. And then finally, Exodus 31. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. Can we see a trend? Can we see a trend developing those scriptures? God is not stuttering. God is not misspeaking. God is making clear what his plan is. It would have been easy for Moses and Aaron to get frustrated with each failed attempt and to see Pharaoh continually turn them away. But the word tells us it was always part of the plan. It was always part of the plan, church. God saw the end from the beginning, and his aim was to be glorified in ways that would not just impact the generations that knew and had experienced slavery, but for generations and generations and thousands of years to come, the name and power and might of the Lord would be known because of what he did in Israel. The very reason that we are reading this scripture today is because of the mighty things that the hand of God did in Israel. Amen? Amen. And... <laughs> If we had any doubt about it, let's look at the final scriptures on this story in Exodus 14. Exodus 14, verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through the Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Verse 17 and 18. I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So God's plan, the heavenly plan, was not just that the Israelites would get saved, but even the Egyptians would know that he was the Lord. Amen? Not just the salvation of the Israelites, but the salvation of the Gentiles. Now we know their salvation did not come in that moment. It says that they feared him, but it was a foreshadowing of the time to come when all of the people of this earth could call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. So knowing all of that, knowing that, God was calling Moses to go and receive no's and to go and to ask and get turned away and be frustrated and, uh, and knowing that Moses uh, was not confident in his speaking ability and had no real ability or charisma to be able to make this happen in his own strength. What is the thing that Moses then had to do to be part of the plan? He had to just show up, church. He had to show up. He had to be obedient. He had to keep rocking up. Okay, day seven, plague seven. <sighs> okay, we move because God says to keep showing up. And it is God's plan. Amen? 
So we have heard about the person, about how who God is is far more important than who we are. We have heard about the power and about how his strength is so much more than our weakness. And now we learn about the plan because God needs our trust far more than he needs our talent. Amen? The truth is, if, if Moses could do this in his own strength, he may have accomplished what God wanted to accomplish for the Israelites, but he would have missed the ways and the reasons for why God was doing it. So those are the three things, the person, the power, the plan. God is central in all of them. It would be so easy for us to count ourselves out just as we come into land, just thinking about this now. It would be so easy for us to count ourselves out if what God was seeking or looking for was an elite group of skilled individuals with certain, what's that, is it the movie Taken? You know, I'm a very certain man with a very certain set of skills. It's something like that. Liam Neeson, my brother, he is talking about that. But God is not looking for that. God is in the business of using and calling and equipping and releasing ordinary people. And trust me, my friends, if Moses, who could not speak well, could keep showing up, we can keep showing up. Amen? We can keep showing up to whatever it is God has called us to, whatever it is God has called us out of, whatever it is he has put us to work in service of his kingdom. Scripture is littered with so many of these people. Worship team, please, please come and return. So many flawed people that God used to bring about his purposes. And these are just the ones that are named and that we know about. We don't just have Moses with the speech impediment. We have David, who also who was one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had, but also committed adultery and murder. We had Solomon, who was called the wisest king, under whom the economy of Israel thrived, but he was also a polygamist with hundreds of wives. We have Samson, one of the strongest judges in all the pages of Scripture, who saw his entire work crumble because he was tempted by earthly things. We saw Jacob, who was one of the fathers of our faith, yet he was also known as the deceiver for deceiving his father and his brother. We have Noah, who led people through the great flood as God sought to begin anew, and yet he also succumbed to drunkenness. We have Elijah, who saw one of the most incredible miracles that God would ever complete, calling down fire from heaven and seeing the altar of the prophets of Baal burn up with fire. And then he immediately ran for his life. He immediately ran for his life. We have Jonah, who literally ran away from the calling, Lit like literally in the opposite direction, not like, uh, like the other way. Jonah ran away from the calling. We have Hezekiah who was on his deathbed and was healed by God in a mighty and miraculous way and then he forgot to give God glory and instead boasted in all of his riches and possessions. We have Zacchaeus, the tax collector who had cheated the people of Israel. We have Peter who knew Jesus more than anybody on this earth probably knew him save for his mother who denied him three times when it mattered most. We had Paul, who was one of the greatest writers in the history of the church and one of the greatest persecutors and murderers of Christians that the church has ever seen. And look, church, if that's not enough, if that's not enough examples, look at the repentant thief 
on the cross, who for his whole life, we don't know if he ever did anything good. We don't know if he ever did anything worthy of glory. We don't know if he ever did anything righteous. But we know that in those final moments, he looked to his side and he saw the Savior and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And God used even his testimony to encourage people in the faith. Amen. There are so many of these people littered through the library of Scripture. Imperfect people who are so much more than their worst moments or weaknesses. And God used them in a powerful way. Have we got time for just a bonus point four? Is that okay? We've talked about the person. We've talked about the power. We've talked about the plan. Church, most importantly of all, I want us to remember the Lamb. I want us to remember the Lamb. Let me make... A last point to encourage us. We could be stood here and going, okay, I get it. I get it all. But how do I even begin to start figuring out what God is calling me to? You could be saying, I'm not running from the calling. I just don't know what it is. He hasn't spoke to me yet. He hasn't told me. But it's actually far more simple than you think. We've talked about the person, the power, and the plan to know what we're called to do. If nothing else, we are all called to this. We must remember the lamb. The Lord spoke to Moses in another part of Exodus that we've not read today. And he told him to instruct the Israelites to find a perfect and spotless lamb, the firstborn of its flock, and to sacrifice that lamb to the Lord for the Passover festival. Moses told them many intricate ways the lamb was to be prepared and to be eaten. But most importantly, that they were to take the blood from that lamb and paint it on the doors of their home. So that when God passed by in righteousness and in judgment later that night, he would see the blood on the door and know that the blood of the lamb has made a way for this family. And this family could be shown mercy. This is the story of the first Passover and the miraculous means by which God saw his people freed from the shackles of slavery and the power of the Egyptians. Nearly 1,500 years later, another lamb was sacrificed to the church. And you know this story. And this sacrifice brought salvation, not just to a single household, but upon anybody who would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Anyone who would call on his name. His name, of course, is Jesus Christ. And by his stripes, church, we are healed. And by his blood, we are redeemed. And by his spirit, we come alive again as we go into the grave with him and are raised to new life. The same power that raised Christ Jesus is living in us. And all we need to do is call on his name. Every single calling that we have, every single mission, every single assignment, every single appointment, no matter what you do for the Lord, I promise you, it is in service of this one thing, the extension of God's kingdom, salvation for the lost, freedom from the prisoner, justice for the oppressed, and the inrushing of God's kingdom here on earth. It all comes back to the Lamb. God is the person with the power and the plan. So let us look to the Lamb. If we don't know where to start, let's start with that. If we've gotten a little lost, let's get back to that. It requires no skill, no qualification, no talent, no exams to take, no interviews to pass. If you know Jesus, you qualify. If you know Jesus in your heart as your Lord and Savior, you qualify because God is in the business of calling ordinary people. Amen? Is there an amen in the house for that? God is in the business of calling ordinary people. 
So we are going to sing. We have this whole series on Bible heroes to come. But as we do, let's just not let it be head knowledge. Let it be heart transformation. Because God is calling people to be the ordinary heroes of the faith today. Prayer team, if you are here, I want to invite you just to come out. And if you could stand facing out towards the congregation and be ready to receive some people as they come forward. I want us to take a moment just as we sing. I want to invite you. If you think you've got some business to do with God today, please come on down. I know it takes a step of bravery, but we believe that making a physical step of obedience will be the catalyst for a heart change. So if this is you, I want to invite you down. If you feel like maybe you've disqualified yourself from the things God is calling you to, you thought, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I've not got the skills. I've not got the talent. God, please find somebody else. I want to say, please come down because God wants to encourage you. If you've been fighting God and he has called you and you know what he's called you to, but you were like, no, but I I want it to be a certain way. I want to dictate what it looks like. I want to be in control. Well, now is the time for you to come down and lay down control because God is going to show you that you can trust him. And also, if you just want, like all of us, I hope, if you just want fresh fire, if you just want fresh zeal, if you want just that passion in your heart for the mission of God to be reignited, come down. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to say, Lord, I need some fresh fire. I need some fresh zeal because the mission of God is every day, church. It is every day. So I want to just invite you as we sing. We're going to sing. Please come down. We will pray for you. You can do some business with God. It can be like a surrender moment. And then when we finish singing, we're going to pray. But for now, why don't we stand together here all over this room, church. Let us stand. And we're going to sing this song. God, you are so good. Amen. Guys, please lead us on.